0: Welcome to Blaine, Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Um, No, but in 2002, there's a movie that came out called About a Boy. Has anybody seen the movie About a Boy? A couple people. Hugh Grant. Um, It just disclaimer. It's not a family movie. Don't go home and be like hey kids. Let's watch this It's not it's not really a family movie Um, But the premise was really good the movie's set in London and it centers around this bachelor Who's living this really comfortable life in the city? And Hugh Grant plays the main character and he's definitely like the right guy for this role Uh, plays it well And he's a bachelor in his late 30s who has the life that many people want which is basically a lot of money and no responsibilities um, and, and so he doesn't have to work because he's been living off his whole life. He's been living off the royalties of a song that his dad wrote in the 60s. And so he hasn't really had to work his whole life. He just gets to do whatever he wants. And so he lives in this fancy uh, flat in London. And he has pretty much, you know, uh, all the creature comforts you could ask for. He's got, it's you know, espresso and and tv and 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 uh, music and um you know he he shops he buys whatever he wants he's got a porsche that he drives around town he's always in trendy clothes and so he's a very shallow person and this is reflected in his relationships instead of trying to seek a long-term relationship he um, tries to have a bunch of short-term relationships with single moms you know he's a very shallow guy and through the process of trying to date, uh, date these women, he actually stumbles into a, his first meaningful relationship, and that's the whole point of the movie. He, um, he, has, he, starts a, uh, he has a meaningful relationship with a mom who's depressed and her 12-year-old son. Her 12-year-old son is named Marcus, and he doesn't really have a father figure in his life, and so he kind of latches on to Hugh Grant's character. And uh, slowly, Hugh Grant's character befriends this lonely kid, and he starts to actually, like, think about someone else for a change. And he sees that Marcus is kind of bullied in school, and so he thinks, okay, well, if I can make Marcus cool, he won't be bullied anymore. So he goes and he, he buys him trendy clothes, and um, he tries to get Marcus into rap music, you know, he's like, I'll make you cool, you know, that's, that's, that's the gift he thinks he can give. Uh, give Marcus, and the the, the the biggest moment of the movie is when Hugh Grant shows up at Marcus 's talent show right before Marcus goes on stage and is about to embarrass himself and he basically takes the bullet for him He, he gets out there and plays guitar, and everyone instead of laughing at Marcus is now laughing at hugh grant and uh, anyways that's that 's the uh, m- movie critique for today um, but But the idea is that is that life is way more than, uh, about way more than just what we like. You know, life is about way more than all the personal comforts that we could enjoy. And even a Hollywood movie is, is telling us this message, that life is more than just the things that we enjoy. And we can say that and believe that, but sometimes we have trouble actually living that out, living for more than just what we like. I don't know about you, but often I want a pleasant life. You know, I want life to be pleasant. If I had my way, I would have brunch at 10 a.m. every morning. You know, and there would be uh, bacon, eggs, hash browns, coffee. You know, I, I could do that for life. Um, I could live a life where I, I spent time in the mountains and reading books and I could be really private. I could go from vacation to vacation. I could live a life that was solely focused on me and my family in our own happy world. And there's nothing wrong with reading. There's nothing wrong with hiking. There's nothing wrong with with having times of privacy. There's nothing wrong with uh, loving your family. But what if life in Jesus requires more than that? What if life in Jesus requires more than that? What if life in Jesus requires that I change my focus to his will and not my will? See, often I want to live a pleasant life. But the life God wants to give me is a purposeful one. He doesn't want to give me a pleasant life. He wants to give me a purposeful one. And so today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 4. And like most of 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 4 isn't a fluffy message. Uh, If you came up hoping for like a pancake type uh, message, you're going to get kind of a steak and eggs uh, message this morning. (laughs) So fair warning. Uh, that's the best analogy. It's, we're on brunch, right? So that's all I could think of. Um, but Paul is, a, is talking to a church that is focused on what they like. He's talking to a church that's lost in what they like. And much like in North America today, the, the church in Corinth was very picky, very picky in their taste, and very individualistic. And so that's why Paul spends so much time in 1 Corinthians stressing unity. Get over yourselves, guys. Be about the Lord's business. Be about Jesus. Don't don't fret over who's teaching this week. You know, don't fret over who's leading music this week. You need to stop separating yourselves into different groups and just focus on me. And, you know, it's like if, if we were to judge each other based on what Bible translation we used. And we, okay, we've got... King James people over here and ESV people over here, you know, it's, it's like that sort of thing. Or if, if someone today picked the church they went to based on the quality of the coffee, you know, like, well, is it fair trade? Is it organic? I don't know. Do you know the grower? Because that's very important. And we don't yet, but maybe someday we will know the person who grows our coffee. Corinth was really cosmopolitan. They were uptown. Uh, They were used to having what they wanted. So all of that world of preference was carried right into the church. It was all about what they liked. And here is the question that 1 Corinthians 4 pushes. Would you follow Jesus even if it cost you the things you like? Would you follow Jesus even if it cost you the things you like? Would you follow Jesus even if you had to drink gas station coffee for the rest of your life? Some of you are like, hey, man, I like gas station coffee. That's great. But would you follow Jesus even if it meant um, leaving some of the things that you enjoy behind? Because the truth is that Jesus didn't call you to himself so that you could live a pleasant life. You see over and over again in Scripture that being a Christ follower isn't easy. Jesus promised it would be difficult. It would involve surrender. Your faith will require you to make decisions that don't make any sense apart from God showing up on the other end. And so God writes this letter to these people he loves in Corinth as someone who's a little farther down the road than them. Paul suffered a lot. Paul surrendered a lot. And so this is what he writes in 1 Corinthians 4. We're going to start in verse 1. It'll be up on the screen. Um, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And so all of this, Paul is saying, leaders in the church need to be thought of as servants and stewards. Like if you are leading anything in the church, you should be thought of as a servant and a steward. There's no one in the church that, that, that should be thought of as the boss. Except who? Jesus, right? There's only one boss in the church, and we're called to be his servants. We're called to be about his will and to steward the good news of Jesus. And we get this from Paul and Apollos. These are megastar church leaders, and they didn't see themselves as bosses. They, didn't, they only saw themselves as servants. Like, I have a responsibility, like a father to a, to a son, to help springboard these people into life in Christ. And so they weren't focused on the privileges of being a leader, but the mission of it. They were all about the mission of what they were about. Paul's thought Was not, how can I better myself through this experience? His thought was, how can I help people find Jesus and grow in him? That was the motivation. And unfortunately for a lot of leaders and a lot of people, that's not the motivation. You know, we have self-advancement that creeps in. Or we have self-affirmation that can creep in. We can seek things for ourselves in what we're doing. But we're going to look a lot at Paul's life today, and Paul lived a life that was just changed by the gospel. When Jesus called Paul to himself, he charged him, take the gospel to the Gentiles. This is your mission. This is what I want you to do. And what we see in the life of Paul is that he was unflinching. He was like, yes, whatever needs to happen, I will do it. And what Paul says is that his main purpose is to remain faithful. He uses that word faithful. And in Greek, what that word means is he wants to prove himself to be loyal, reliable, and trustworthy to God. Like, if, that, if that's it, if that's all Paul can do with his life, all he wants to do is to prove himself to be loyal, reliable, and trustworthy to God. That's what he wanted. And, and Paul was so much down that road that he didn't care about others' opinions. He didn't care about what other people, people thought. He tells the Corinthian church, it's a very small thing if you judge me. It's a very small thing. Your opinion doesn't matter to me as much as God's opinion. So whatever they thought of his preaching style or his clothing style or 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 you know the way that he uh, the, the way the way that he lived, he didn't see it as a big deal um, because God had given him, him a mission, and dang it, he was going to do it. He was going to get it done. He wasn't conflicted between that mission and other opinions. You know, Paul didn't go to bed at night thinking, okay, how can I please God and still keep everybody happy? You know, that wasn't his thought. It was only, how can I please God? How can I please God? Paul says, the Lord is my judge. What he thinks of me is the only thing that matters. And guys, as a leader, I wish I was as strong as Paul. But my Enneagram tells me that I struggle and am affected by others opinions, you know, and that's true Um, You know, I'm getting better, but yeah, there's something in me that wants people to like me I want to be highly regarded by others You know, I wish I could find that. Okay. How can I please God and make everybody happy? I could play that dance You know my whole life Um, But there's only one opinion that matters And I have to surrender that desire to please people. There's only one opinion that matters. Because if we operate as Christians in trying to please God and give people what they want, then we won't give people what they need. And that's Jesus. Is Jesus what we're giving away? Paul was uncompromised. He was focused on pleasing God. Am I fulfilling this mission? Am I leading others towards you? His metric wasn't, did I make everyone happy? I don't know what it would take for all of us to get to a point where the only opinion that mattered was God's. As a parent, what if God's opinion was the only opinion that mattered? As an employee, what if God's opinion was more important to you than your boss's opinion? As a friend, what if God's opinion was the only one that mattered and as a part of the church what if it was God's opinion that was the only one that mattered so as I thought about that I wanted to ask another question that's related and it's this how present is God in your life how present is God in your life how uh, the difference between Paul and the people he was leading in Corinth is that Jesus was very much in the room for Paul Jesus was very much present in the room it wasn't an abstraction It wasn't an abstract thought. It was part. It wasn't part of his weekly routine. Jesus was everything to Paul. And here's the point. Jesus didn't come to call you to a cause as much as he came to call you to himself. It's not about getting about the right cause. It's about becoming um, getting into a relationship with God himself. God first and foremost created you to be in a relationship with him. God isn't looking for constituents. No, he calls you sons and daughters. If you believe in Jesus, you are adopted into the family of God as a son and daughter. It's not a political rally that that God is starting here. This is sonship and daughtership. He wants you to share in his glory with him. And if you believe this morning, you are a son or a daughter of the Most High. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, You might have heard that name, but he was a Christian martyr who died at the hands of the Nazis in World War II. Um, He said this. He said, Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It remains an abstract idea, a myth. And Christianity of that kind is nothing more or less than the end of discipleship. In such a religion, there is trust in God, but no following of Christ. See, do we believe that God is alive today, living, moving us? Is he active in your life? Is the Spirit teaching you and leading you? Is he present? Because if Jesus is alive in your life, then he can lead you. If Jesus is simply an abstraction or a myth, then he doesn't have any power in your life. Jesus was very much alive for Paul. And in the second half of this chapter, Paul doesn't hold back. He actually pulls back the curtain on his life and says, this is what I've had to go through for Christ. And, and he challenges them by showing them what his relationship with God has cost him. So we'll start in verse 8. He says, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you where I think that God has exhibited us apostles last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure, and when slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you then, be imitators of me. So, this relationship with Jesus cost Paul everything, every comfort that you could imagine. He says, In the world's opinion, I don't make sense. You know, I looked like a man sentenced to death, I looked like a fool. No one could really understand why I would choose to live the way I was living. In the world's eyes, Paul looked weak. Like when others were hurting him, he blessed them. Um, When he was persecuted, he kept going. You know, people probably looked at him and were like, Paul, are you like a glutton for punishment? Like, what's going on? The worst of all, he said he was poorly dressed. Can you believe it? (laughs) Paul wasn't wearing the nicest stuff, man. He was coming in poorly dressed, shabby looking. Um, He says he was homeless, Paul's saying, hey, when it comes to following Jesus, I, I'll sleep on the ground if I need to. And I was thinking about this. Paul didn't think like a shopper. You know, he, felt, he, he thought like a soldier. Like, well, God, if you're calling me to Corinth, I'll go without a plan. I'll just go and show up and expect you to provide even if I have to sleep outside. And so all these things that, that give us status, clothes, homes, um, you know, personal pride, Paul surrendered it. You know, he uses this phrase at the end. He encapsulates it with this phrase, says he's the scum and the refuse of the world. Um, I want you to know that refuse is the politest word the translators could have used for what Paul was saying. Uh, He didn't actually say refuse. He actually curses. And here, I want you to know this. He actually curses. And I mean, doesn't he know this is church, right? (laughs) Um, But Paul... Paul says, he uses another word that we might use for manure. It comes from a bowl. If you have any guesses, keep them to yourself. Um, But he says, yeah, that's what I am to the world. You know, that's how the world sees me. That's how the world treats me. Who wants to sign up? Who wants to sign up? Who wants to follow me? He says in verse 16, I urge you then be imitators of me. Like, really? I don't know. But what would actually compel people to go As low as Paul. And this is what I want to conclude today, is that being faithful to Christ only makes sense when Christ is your whole life. Not that we don't have other things in our life, but if Christ is is the the focal point and, and relationship with him is the center of your life, that's only when this would all make sense. Because Paul was okay with Jesus plus nothing. He demonstrated that. Paul was okay with following Jesus plus nothing. He was willing to give up the status, the comfort, Um, He was because Jesus was everything to him. His opinion is what mattered to him. He wanted God's companionship. And so because of that, the rest of life was negotiable. And Jesus was so present in his life that he was willing to give up the rest of it. And I just want you to know this isn't a Paul thing. This is a Bible thing. In Luke 18 there's a story that you might remember about the rich young ruler Um, the rich young ruler has has it all together he keeps the rules he looks sharp he's a guy that if you walked into the room you would say leader Um, he comes to Jesus and he asks him good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life he's asking him what do I need to do Jesus what do you want me to do What do I need to add to my resume before I'm accepted into your kingdom? And Jesus walks through all the commandments with him, and he's kept them all. But then Jesus hits him where it hurts. He hits him uh, with what he likes most, which is his wealth. That's why it it says, uh, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, And distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You know, what is he thinking? Oh, not that. That's the one thing I didn't want you to say. Not the money, you know. That's, I can't live without that. See, the rich young ruler wanted to live with Jesus plus wealth. He wasn't willing to live with Jesus plus Nothing. I think all of us need to think about where are we at with Jesus? Are we willing to live a life that would be Jesus plus nothing? Because I think often we'd rather contain God. Like, all right, I'm, I'm going to give you like some room over here, but this is mine, okay? You can play in this room, not that room, you know? We're willing to read our Bibles and pray, but as far as serving, I don't want to go there. Or we're willing to serve others, but only a little bit, you know? Don't, don't ask me to do um, more. And here's this question. Do you think the rich man would have been sad if he said yes to Jesus? Do you think the rich man would have been sad? I don't think he would have. I think there was life waiting for him there on the other side that he had never experienced before. It was like that moment, you know, if you've ever, like, jumped into a cliff... And, you know, you stand on the edge of the cliff and you're looking at the water and your brain's like, I can do this, and your legs are saying no, you know? Have you ever been there or just me? But, like, you have that moment of decision, like, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to jump? Um, you know, and, and, and he had that moment and he didn't jump. Instead, he walks away sad. You know, and I bet he spent the rest of his life thinking about that moment. Like, why didn't I just do that? Why didn't I just jump? There's new life waiting, but are we willing to jump? And this is what I want to bring it all back to. The Christian experience isn't about what you like. It's about who you love. It isn't about what you like. It's about who you love, because the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that why Paul would be willing to give up his privileges was that he wanted the love and companionship of God to know God, to walk with him closely. Paul says this in Philippians 3. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know, whatever he had gained, he he would count it as loss just to know Jesus. Knowing God was worth far more to him than any temporary things that he could hold on to. In December, you may know that Bonnie and I went to a uh, church intensive training down in San Francisco, and we spent a little bit of time um, down in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, which is where half of the city's homeless population live on the streets. Uh, The conditions are really, really bad. They're really, really bad. There's drugs and prostitution going on. Um, you know it smells like urine and feces it's just a really really ugly situation and in the middle of all of this there's a YWAM base. There's a a, a base of Christian mission and and at this YWAM base we met a man named Tom who was staying there with his family and Tom looked like a normal guy and talking to him I found out he, he had been a software engineer at Google he worked for Google. He had a nice house in San Jose, but he felt like, ah, there's something missing, and God called him to take his family and live at this YWAN base for a full year. I'm like, I can't imagine, and I, I, he didn't say this, but I can't imagine what those conversations at work must have been like. Like, dude, are you serious? <laughs> like, you're going to leave this and go live out there? You're going you're gonna to leave your job for a year, or your house for a year? You're going to take your family and and hang out with the homeless on the streets of San Francisco, like, you're crazy. Like, that is insane. And I was humbled by Tom. And when I looked at Tom, I asked myself, man, would I be willing to do that? Would I be willing to take my kids and live out on the, like, right there on the streets in San Francisco? Like, his kids knew some of of the people, you know? They were talking and chatting it up. I'll say this. It made me really thankful to be called to Blaine. <laughs> I'm like, but, man, if, if, if Tom had the courage to move from San Jose into San Francisco with his family, then I better be willing to do whatever God has called me to do in Blaine with all my heart, yeah. you know? Because that's the point. Does God have your heart or just a part of it? You know, if Paul is an example, if Tom is an example, it really is all about who you love. If God has your heart, then the surrender part is easy. It's easy. Tom was more interested in running after God than anything else. He wanted to be closer to God, and he was willing to leave kind of the corporate, the, 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 uh, the aura of success behind for a year. And you know, guys, as I was closing, I was tempted to put a practical spin on this message, but I really don't think it needs one. I really, because it's not about doing something. It's not about doing something. It's about loving someone. And if you love Jesus, you will figure out what to do. If you love the King, you will be about His kingdom. And that's the question. Do you love Jesus this morning? Because I'm here to tell you, He loves you. He loves you, and you've heard that before, but you need to hear it again. Jesus loves you. He did it all for you. Think about what Jesus did. He gave up every comfort. Jesus gave up every privilege. He gave up every bit of status that he had. He emptied himself. It says in Philippians, He hung on a cross, exposed to the world, and died for you. He gave up everything so that you could be reconnected to God. He went without a home. He went without food. He went without the joys of heaven. Jesus was threatened and beaten up. Before he went to the cross, he was put in a room with 600 Roman soldiers where he was mocked and beaten, and thorns were, a crown of thorns was stuck into his head. He was spit on, and he did all of that for you. His love is crazy. Jesus' love for you is crazy. His love surrendered every personal comfort that he could possibly have. For us, As we close, I just want to share this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis kind of encapsulates what we've been talking today. He puts some mustard behind it. <laughs> Here's steak and, steak and eggs, right? Um, he says, Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. Instead, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, uh, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and disturbances of love, is hell. Don't lock up your heart. Don't lock it up. Don't drown out your life in the smaller pursuits. But be changed by God's love for you. Put everything on the table for God. He may not ask you to change everything, but he may want to use what you have. He may ask you what's in your hands. Give what you have to God so that you can be free to love him. Because that's what God wants for you. Freedom in his love. Freedom to love him and love others with all your heart, without being entangled by smaller things. Free to embrace whoever he brings into your life from a full heart. Because love is where the life is. It's not in the little things. It's in the big things. Love is where the life is. Let's pray.